0: Have you ever hired a milkshake, wondered which features you should focus on, or wished you knew what your users really wanted? In this episode, I explain to Mike about Jobs To Be Done, a framework to help you understand what your users really want. This is Hit Reply, Episode 5. Hey, and welcome to Hit Reply, the podcast that gives you an inside view on what it's like to start a startup. I'm Fred and I'm Mike and in this episode we will be talking about jobs to be done. Now Fred, hang on a sec. Hiring a milkshake, what are you on about? We all do it, we all do it. You might not realise you're doing it but we all hire things but before we get into that it'd be good to give a bit of a backstory on what is jobs to be done, what's the history of it, so we can give a bit of context to answer your question. Okay, tell me then, what is jobs to be done? So in the 1960s, there's a guy called Theodore Levitt and he said people don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole and that's a really important point and quite profound that people buy products and services to accomplish a task or to achieve a goal. They don't just buy it because they want something shiny and there's always a reason and a goal that they want to achieve.
1: Yeah, I guess that makes sense, yeah.
0: And then a guy called Tony Allwick. He's the Stratagen founder. Um, and in the nineteen eighties, he saw a lot of product failures at IBM, and he started wondering about this. And he realised what Theodore Levitt had said about people wanting a hole and not a drill, and started to think about that in terms of how the products were built at IBM. He then changed his methods to be more focused on the process and outcome rather than the product. Then in the 90s, he created something called the Outcome-Driven Innovation Method, so ODI for short, right? which is uh, quite closely coupled with jobs to be done. right? Fast forward to 2000, and Clayton Christensen, a professor at the Harvard Business School, he had just released a book called The Innovator's Dilemma, which you may have heard of is quite a famous book. I've not come across it. Okay, well, it's quite famous and maybe one we listen to on Audible one day. Yeah, sounds good. So Tony had come across this book and approached Clayton to talk about the outcome-driven innovation method and to talk about how that solves some of the problems that Clayton brings up in The Innovator's Dilemma. Right. Clayton really liked it and he really has adopted it since then. He's kind of taken it under his wing and talks about it a lot at Harvard Business School and has, has really just shared the jobs-to-be-done method quite widely. So historically jobs to be done has been applied quite often to physical products so a classic example is a mattress so people will often complain about mattresses and say okay i'm not getting enough sleep so maybe i should change my mattress yeah and obviously if you don't get enough sleep there's knock-on effects you feel stressed and you might start eating worse or whatever it can all snowball as we've talked about in previous episodes in burnout it's a really important thing to have under control definitely yeah So when you think about mattresses, you can say, who are our competitors? And you'd naturally think, okay, well, other mattress shops, like other people that are selling mattresses, because these people want a mattress, um, so they're going to buy a mattress. That makes sense to me. But actually, when you think about it, you're competing with anyone else who solves the same problem as you. So for mattresses, you're basically trying to solve someone's sleep issues. They are not getting enough sleep. So it could actually be that you're competing with gyms because if you go to the gym, you can get in better shape and then from there, you'll sleep better. Similarly, with a diet, if you eat better, you can sleep better and it might actually not be the mattress that's the problem or you could just drink whiskey and maybe you'll sleep better then.
1: Yeah, or maybe like sleeping pills or
0: something like that. Yeah, exactly. So there's a whole wide variety of options for solving the problem that people come to mattress shops thinking about and having that in mind helps you frame your solution to their problem better. Most recently, I've come across it through Intercom. So Intercom are a company that probably everyone has heard of listening to this or the vast majority of people. They're a really big software company, originally from Ireland. And I think they're based out in San Francisco as well now. And they're really good with like helping you to communicate with the users and stuff like that. Yeah. And Des Trainer, one of the founders there, has written a book on this recently. So they've been talking about this for a few years now and uh, been blogging about Jobs to be Done. And in the books that I read, so I read it recently when I was away on holiday in Berlin and it was really nice and short. I managed to read it on the plane and stuff, which was cool. And the books that I read talks about how at Intercom, they just use it for everything. Jobs to be Done is the real core of how they think about what they should build and what their users really want. They frame everything from marketing to product development to branding. Everything is around jobs to be done.
1: All right, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so you've spoken about the history of it, and that's cool. But what actually is it? You know, how do I apply it? What does it mean? And how do I hire a milkshake?
0: (laughs) Well, everyone wants to know how to hire a milkshake. So... Really, what it comes down to is what is the core job your user is hiring your product for? So a milkshake is a product, and you might not think about it this way, but when you buy a milkshake, you're hiring it for a a problem that you have, for a job you want to be solved. So it's a quite a classic example in terms of jobs to be done, and if you've heard about jobs to be done, you may have heard the milkshake example before. But basically, the milkshake example talks about how a fast food company wanted to improve their milkshake sales. So this is a true story. Um, The company started segmenting by product, which is a milkshake, and demographics. And then they went out and asked people in that demographic about the qualities of the product they love. So people said they wanted like thick milkshakes and stuff or like they really liked chocolate, Um, things like that, that they said that that's what was great. Yeah. So the company were like, cool, we've got some stuff we've learned here. This is what our target audience have said. And they started integrating that into their product. But after a while, they were tracking their sales and they hadn't increased they were confused because they'd talked to people about what they want and they'd integrated that feedback but it hadn't made a difference it hadn't moved the needle so after that they turned to a colleague and I think a fellow of uh, Clayton Christensen and the colleague looked at which jobs people were trying to hire the milkshake for So most of them, it turned out, bought the milkshake to do quite a similar job. They faced a long, boring commute and needed something to keep their extra hand busy and to make their commute more interesting. They weren't yet hungry, but they knew they'd be hungry by about 10am. They wanted to consume something now that would stave off hunger until noon. And they faced constraints. They were in a hurry, they were wearing work clothes, and they had at most one free hand. So ultimately what it comes down to is that the milkshake was competing with other things that could fulfill this criteria. So they had these limited constraints and they had a goal in mind, which was to stave off hunger and also to stave off a bit of boredom because they had a commute where it could be quite boring and something to keep their mind occupied would also be useful. Right, yeah. So the competitors here might be like a bagel or a donut, but they found out that People were hiring the milkshake because it was tidy. Bagels make quite a mess. Yep. It kept them from being hungry. Plus, trying to suck a thick liquid through a thin straw gave customers something to do with their boring commute.
1: Yeah, I guess that's why, you know, something like a a smartphone wouldn't
0: solve that problem. It solves the boredom problem, but it doesn't solve the hunger issue as well. Yeah, and it could cause death. So just to say, like, (laughs) don't use your smartphone whilst you're driving. Yes. Um, And, you know, don't eat your smartphone either. No, those two things are both bad ideas
1: okay so i now understand how you hire a milkshake that makes sense but you said like intercom use it for other areas of their business as well so things like their product decisions and like marketing and things like that so how does
0: that work so ultimately it comes down to the value prop so your value proposition should be all about the key jobs you're competing for Customers want to know that you understand their problem. What they really need to know in order to switch to you is that, okay, these people understand what I'm going through and they have a solution that's going to help me achieve my goal. So really your branding and your marketing, all those sort of things should be focused around that. It should be encouraging your users to switch from hiring something else to hiring your product. Right. So when you do that, you have to think about, okay, who are our real competitors then? So if you're creating project management software, then your real competitors are like email and stuff like that. And I think Slack do this really well. Slack often talk about how email is broken and it's not good for team communication and stuff like that. Because Mm. they understand that people are hiring a certain tool right now. And that for them to switch from that to Slack, they have to talk about, okay, well, how does the current tool work? And what is it people are really trying to get done?
1: Right, okay, I think I'm understanding. So once you've identified your actual competitors, you then need to try and get those people to kind of stop using that other task because they might not realize that your new product is actually a competitor to what the problem they're trying to solve is. Yeah, so how do you get them to
0: start using your software then, or your product? So just to be done, talks about there's four factors involved in any switch decision. You've got the push of what is currently happening. You've got the pull of a new solution, you've got the anxiety of what could happen, and then you've got the attachment to what you currently have. So if I go through those one by one and give an example, um, so for the push, you've got this mattress is uncomfortable, and people are waking up in the night with, with back pain. That's pushing them to think, okay, maybe I should solve this problem. You've got the pull of a new mattress, that's cool, you can have better sleep, and you can have a better mood, and just could be more comfortable. People have anxiety, though. So when they're making product decisions, they have anxiety about, okay, well, what if I don't like it? It could be a lot of hassle. Like when I think about a mattress, it's one of those things that it's not easy to return and it's not always easy to try out either. So it's quite hard to know which mattress you should buy. So I can imagine that quite a lot of people have that anxiety as well. Yeah. And then you also have an attachment. So maybe you've had this mattress 20 years, you've had it since you've been married, you've lots of memories, et cetera. So you might wanna keep that mattress and that will hold you back as well. So in order to utilize that, you wanna basically increase the push away. So you wanna emphasize how bad their current setup is. So tell them like, oh yeah, this really isn't working. The email for project management, there's so many threads, everything's getting lost, isn't this horrible? And then you want to increase the pull towards what you are promoting your product and say how well your product solves that problem, that job, how well it does alongside that you want to decrease the anxiety of change so switching is quick and easy you want to say like things, things like that you hear it quite a lot but it, it helps chip away at the anxiety of change and things like a 30-day return so i think um one of the mattress companies i see advertised in the trains that i get on uh, has like a 45-day return or something so if you don't like it just bring it back and you get your money back yeah i think the mattress i last bought
1: had something like 60 or 90 days it was like really yeah. really long
0: I can imagine it makes sense for a company because really, if you think about it, how many people are going to bother doing that? Once you've got a mattress, yep. I know that I w- it would have to be a seriously bad mattress for me to take that back. yeah, Or a seriously expensive one where I'm like, damn, this is expensive. Hmm. So it makes sense for companies to do that sort of thing. And it really helps decrease that anxiety. And finally, you want to decrease attachment to the status quo. So deconstruct any irrational attachments they have to anything, which will then helps them switch over to your product. So there's a quote that I really like that kind of helps put this into perspective. Um, it's from David Foster Wallace from the book Infinite Jest. And he says, to create an anxiety only relievable by a purchase, that is the job of advertising. I like that quote. It really sums it up, doesn't it? You, you want to create an urgency in someone. that I want that. I want that product. Yeah. And it really, it means that you're just driving them to what it is that you're selling. Yeah. So if that's your aim and you're trying to create that anxiety and you really want someone to switch then that's great Um, and you might say okay well my product's a little bit better than that product we've got this feature that that existing solution doesn't have you should switch and use us but as you may have heard before I've heard it quoted that your product should be 10 times better than the competition in order for your target audience and target customers to switch to you yeah And that kind of sounds crazy when you think about it. Like, how can you make something 10 times better? Like, reasonably, is that realistic? Because if they're using something already, it can't be really bad. There must be some goodness to it. Yeah. 10 times better is huge. That is a lot. So the book goes into what does that mean? And they break it down like this, that there's two sides to it. One side is that the user is overvaluing their existing solution. And they say it roughly three times. So... A combination of just overestimating what they've got, thinking it's a a good solution, plus the fact that the status quo, they're just used to it, this is what they've always had, and that they don't really want to change. And that leads people to thinking, okay, well, like it's better the devil you know, etc. Stuff like that. Like, I know how this works. We've been using it for a while. Let's just stick with what we've got, even if it's not perfect. So even if your product's slightly better, people are unlikely to change. The other side of it is that as makers, we overvalue the products we make. Something that I've uh, heard from Dan Ariely before is that people have a maker bias. So he did like an experiment where he got people to to make something and then to price it and to say how much he thought it was worth. And he also got other people to just price it and say how much he thought it was worth. And the people that made the thing thought it was worth more than the people that didn't. And it was just, it wasn't a very complex thing, but it kind of showed that people add value of their time spent into the equation of how much is something worth. Yeah. And it's really worth knowing that when we think about products that we are biased. It's like our little baby and we might see things slightly different to how our potential customers are seeing them. Add on top of that, that often we don't fully understand what our customers' needs are. So they are intimately knowing what their problems are, but we have a grasp, but we won't fully understand as well as they do, the specifics of their problem. And quite often we just build features that users don't need. It sounds nice, it looks shiny, and we build it because it sounds fun, we like to design, we like to code, so we'll, we'll build some features but the user doesn't really get any benefit from it. So we're counting that in like, oh, our product's great. It's got feature X, Y, and Z. And it's overvaluing actually what the value proposition is because really they don't care. So we end up overvaluing what we've made and what we're offering. And the customer overvalues what their existing solution is, which is where the kind of 10X better thing comes from in terms of if the user is overvaluing their solution by three times and you're overvaluing your solution by three times, If you think about it in that sense, you need to think about your product being 10 times better from your perspective, because then it will be enough to get someone to think, actually, this is going to really help. They will then be motivated to switch.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. But how do you apply these techniques that we're talking about to first-time makers? If you've never made anything
0: before, how can you use jobs to be done to help you launch? So if you're someone who hasn't launched yet, the idea of the branding and advertisement stuff can be useful but it's kind of down the line so the real thing that I would focus on is your MVP feature set so the minimum viable product features that you're going to ship with so that's really honing okay well what job are you trying to get solved with what you're trying to build and as I said before sometimes that's not obvious you don't necessarily have that smack you in the face when you have the idea often you think of like a nice shiny product that that looks cool and people will love and undergirding that is the job you're trying to solve but you kind of focus on the surface level of this shiny thing so it's worth taking a moment to think about okay what problem am i trying to solve okay then you need to ask yourself all these features that i think must have launch features how many of them are moving the needle on solving this problem can i solve this problem with half of these features do i need a search feature to solve this problem do they need to search Um, do they need to have social sharing to solve this problem and quite often the answer is no for your initial launch you just don't need those features you just need to cut them down and you need to be quite ruthless with your feature call because if you have never launched before the most important thing is launching and we talk about this a lot but it's really true and we talk about a lot because we know it from our experience how much we failed to do it before yeah Other people that might be listening to this might be looking to go down the VC funded route. They might have built a few things before and are now looking to get funding for an idea they've had or a problem they're trying to solve. And there's a quote from Des Trainer in the Intercom book that I really enjoyed, which is a large budget should define how well a problem is solved, never how many problems are tackled. And I think that's really important that when you have money and maybe resources, it can be tempting to try and make something that does lots of stuff. But you don't really need to do that. You just need to solve the core problem really well. And you should invest all those resources in less features and just make the core of it really, really good. Some tools need to be feature heavy to get the job done. It depends on what you're trying to get done. And sometimes jobs are complex and you need a lot of different functions to get that done. But quite often that's not the case. And we just dream up all these different features that aren't necessary. And if we just cut it back, we'll get the job done better.
1: Okay, so we know that we need to look at things in jobs to be done. So what the user is trying to do. But how do we actually find out what the
0: user is actually trying to do? What job they're trying to get done? So it depends on where you're at. If you're someone who's never launched and your problem is one that you're experiencing yourself, it's an idea that you've had out of your own pain point. I personally think there's something to be said for sometimes just building something quickly and short that's based on your own pain point. We did that with flash tabs and a few other things. And it's not always the most successful in the long term, but it saves you a layer of complexity. And sometimes if you can think of a smaller version of your idea that solves your problem that you could ship in, say, four to six weeks, like we said in last week's episode and start small, that if you can ship it quite quickly. You should still be able to have the motivation to get it done and it can mean that you can just base it off of what you know and i think that can be a good way to start sometimes once you've learned to launch and you know that you can launch stuff the real key is building something that's really going to solve the problem well and that's at the point where i'd say even if it's your own problem talk to other people and that's what we've been doing with prodigo and it's something that we're trying to do more of is get some more outside perspective because people always have great insights if you can ask them so what are you struggling with right now what problems are you facing how do you currently solve these problems? What motivated you to solve it that way? What's the hardest part about that? When was the last time that happened? And you can get some really interesting insights from people by asking those sort of questions. If they say, oh, I can't remember the last time that happened or that problem. uh, I can't really remember what it was like. It's not an issue they really care about. And that's basically the series of questions that I've just said there are something that are called customer interviews. And it's just a, a way of interviewing people and not proposing a solution but just asking them about their problem. And this comes out of the jobs to be done sort of framework. And it's the problem discovery. How do you find out whether people are having this problem? What jobs are they currently hiring for? How successful are the products or the solutions that they're hiring? So if you are someone who has launched before and you're looking to create something that's maybe going to last a little bit longer than just a short launch, then I would definitely recommend asking people about it. It's like Henry Ford said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And you don't... it's <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> yes. It's such a good quote. And it really fits because it's true. If you ask people for solutions, they don't know the solution. Mm. And if you get feature requests in your app, you will get solution requests. People don't normally think and talk in terms of problems. Yeah. And that's the same with when we have ideas, we have ideas of solutions uh, more than we have ideas of problems. And so when we get feature requests or when you're talking to people, it's important to find out, okay, what are they trying to get done? What job are they trying to get done? What are they hiring for? So I think we've had a pretty good overview there of what the jobs to be done
1: framework is. Uh, I guess to sum it all up, can you in 60 seconds tell us what the jobs to be done framework is?
0: Yeah, I can give you my interpretation of it. I think it's important to note that I haven't said everything about jobs to be done. So there's more to this. But from what I've gone through, I think it's important to think of your products in terms of what are your customers or prospective customers hiring you to get done. And that will influence what you build, what feature set you build. It influence how you market yourself and your branding. And it will affect how you go about your process so you need to talk to your customers and find out what's going on there so it affects everything really and that's kind of what intercom have been doing they've been proponents of this for for a while now and it runs through everything they do everything they do is based around jobs to be done and for me that's what i really like about it is that it makes sense for all the product decisions that i have to think about as a general overview it's more of a mindset for me more than the specifics the specifics can help implement that but the basis of it is the mindset yeah i think it's a really interesting way of
1: looking at things it's very different to the way that most people look at, at solving problems and tackling problems and what users actually want so if you want to read more about jobs to be done you can look at the show notes for this episode which you can find at hitreplyco slash five and we'll have some links there to some blog posts and books that go into jobs to be done a little bit more in depth if you want to subscribe to us you can join our mailing list or subscribe to the podcast at hitreply.co slash subscribe and I think it's also worth noting that next week we are off to America yeah um we're going to be going to san francisco la san diego and new york so if you know of anywhere that we should go to while in those different places then tweet us and let us know but more importantly we want to know why you're listening to this podcast and more specifically in terms of the jobs to be done framework what job are you hiring this podcast for hit reply and let us know